Hello, I'm John T. Bloom, and I'm presenting six podcasts for you. Each will deal with a different aspect of mental health. In this podcast, I'm talking to someone who helps run an organisation which deals daily with appallingly stressful incidents, matters of life and death. As a consequence, it takes a very proactive attitude to mental health, both day-to-day and in the long run as well. The RNLI saves lives at sea around the coast of the British Isles, and Rachel Newman is Head of People, Policy and Support at the charity. I asked her how important mental health is to the organisation. Mental health and physical health and well-being, not only of our own people, but those that we are there to rescue, um, you know, it runs to the core of our purpose and, and what we're here to do. So it, it's always been and is uh, a, a very much a priority for the charity. And can you just tell us how you, how you take it seriously and what you actually do? So as an organisation, um, we've always had a well-established in-house occupational health function. So we we, we have a service in-house which um, services the needs uh, uh, health and well-being ac- across all of our volunteers and, and uh, departments. So I guess, you know, for, for a long time, we've had um, a, a very strong and robust approach to managing physical health and safety. Uh, that would be no surprise. Um, like many organisations, you, you know, the, the traditional sort of health and safety approach has been very much around around that sort of physical health um, um, and support but I guess given the nature of the work that we do um, and and the kind of potential traumatic nature of that work um, and the people that we meet and the profile of those rescues and and health issues that those individuals might be facing we have definitely seen in the last decade um, an emerging um, sort of commitment to an understanding of mental health as part of a broader sort of um, understanding of safety so we are uh, i guess over the last 10 years we've seen a, a progressive commitment to um, interventions support and services that address not only physical safety but also mental health um, and support and so can you give us a few examples of of sure. things that you're doing so um we've always had sort of a, an ability to reach out and contact our central in-house occupational health teams so sort of locally managers can always reach out for advice guidance and support and refer individuals for support that way what we've done over the last sort of few years is build on that and, and embed greater support so one of the biggest sort of initiatives we introduced um, about five years ago was um, a trauma support program called trim um, and it's sort of a, a risk-based support program for particularly for operational volunteers and staff but actually anybody in the organization where they may be exposed through the delivery of, of, of um, support to NRLI, they may be exposed to potentially traumatic events. And that's a, a face-to-face intervention and support program um, that, that deals with the immediate aftermath, but then, you know, for some weeks after, sort of a proper sort of support program for that. So we have invested heavily in, a, in a, an extensive sort of um, network of trim practitioners um, who are at, at, across all of the organisation. Supporting that and in a preventative rather than, reactive way we've been developing the mental health first aid program which is very familiar to organizations and and something that is seen as good practice so we we had started to recruit train and develop our own mental health first aids across the organization have been doing that for about three years now Um, and then certainly as we came into the pandemic you know their services and support were called upon you know quick hands so what we've now seen is a sort of growing understanding of an engagement with those teams we have an employee assistance program so people can uh, and volunteers and staff can dial a, a remotely into a, a, a sort of freely accessible sort of service that responds to wider needs for well-being and support, not just at work, but sort of personal issues, matters, and, and offers 
the ability to have face-to-face counselling um, as, a, as a benefit that, that can be accessed without cost to the individual. So there's a, a very sort of tangible kind of route through which you can get support. Um, and then that's further supplemented by an extensive communications and engagement plan we offer in-house training on things like resilience. And we also offer sort of uh, toolkits and guidance that people can use to, to make use of the, the incredible external charities and support services that we work with, like MIND and the Samaritans, um, as to name but a couple that we, we work with um, to help develop resources generally. When we, uh, when we watch things like Saving Lives at Sea, we see a, you know, very grateful people who have been snatched from death. Doubtless, it's not always that easy, is it? I mean, there must be lots of times which are far more traumatic even than those when you successfully save somebody. Yeah, absolutely. But I think uh, understanding trauma, you you quickly realise that the experience... I think you can foresee the potential for trauma, uh, but you can't actually determine whether something's traumatic. You know, that's very much a personal experience. So, you know, we we have very experienced crews and, 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 and operational teams that work across, obviously, the UK and Ireland, um, and there are many different scenarios, situations and circumstances that they get engaged with. Sometimes it will be one event um, and it might be a personal a sort of, uh, you know, a personal connection to a, a particular rescue or a particular incident that might trigger something. But actually what we're seeing now and what we're understanding more now is actually the cumulative impact. And they can be very small things that at the time people go, oh, it's fine, I, I handle that. But actually over a long period of time, we are not robots. And, and I think, again, what we're recognising the last couple of years is that We've all engaged with an understanding of our own mental health and are, are treating it more seriously as we would our physical health. So, so we're de- now building on that tr- that program of trauma support to look at how we identify the potential for tra- trauma and prevent it um, through proper training and support and services. Well, I'm glad you said that thing about the cumulative thing because you see people who've been you know crew members for 20, 30 years and and have seen everything over that time. Yeah. But the cum- you know there is always a straw that breaks the camel's back. These people are the leaders and you know they, they're the most experienced but they've also seen more than everybody else and they can be affected in the very long term by that can't they they can and i think uh, what we're seeing is uh, an ability to now talk about that in a much more open and, and natural way um, it was really interesting as we started to build our plan you know there are there is a sort of a risk that, that the mental health has that stigma and particularly for men it can be quite a hard thing we've seen a lot obviously addressing that in the, in the public media and that certainly was evident within our sort of life-saving teams what we decided to do was actually start to deliver something that enabled that discussion and and, and sort of you know the choosing to deliver the, the trauma support program and proactively taking that out to crews and, and stations as a consequence of particular rescues or shouts enabled at a grassroots levels for peer group trained peers to come in and talk about trauma and mental health in a way that I think broke down barriers and we you know we have seen without doubt with the success of that program being uh, being that we've trained individuals from within teams that we've, we've seen this you know heightened and much more informed discussion and we're, we've taken that kind of stigma we're removing it it's still there don't get me wrong but internally now and across teams and across lifeboat stations and across lifeguard service as well the dialogue about mental health is is much much deeper and much richer and and actually the cumulative trauma is something that perhaps previous volunteers they can they can encounter that years after the perhaps they've they've stood down and and and, and finished active service but we do see and, and we do support you know anybody that's sort of volunteered they come back and they say i think you know i'm having some sort of experience and we we make sure we've got a response to support them and what do you say to new recruits 
It's um, quite a structured program, actually. Um, you know, obviously, the, the kind of the potential risks of life-saving, um, you know, you, if you're going to put your hat in the ring to do that kind of activity, you've kind of got an understanding that it's a pretty sort of front end at the front end. It's going to be a pretty um, challenging environment. So as part of the core competency training and ongoing within their sort of structured uh, learning, which goes on, you know, for, for a significant amount of time, we make sure that we are combining that structured training with informal methods of management and support at station. And then those more structured, as I say, there's more structured programs uh, through trim and so on. So we, we are building that resource. Uh, we have various toolkits and information, but often it's how we talk about it and making sure it's fit for the environment and the context and the people you're talking to. How you talk about well-being with crew would be very different to how you might talk to an office-based team or you know uh, our engineering and a production team so you've got to find a way of making it relatable and and breaking down some of those barriers definitely do you think you have any lessons for for industry and, and other kind of areas of life i guess the things that we are learning are you have you have to take your plan and approach to well-being as seriously as any other aspect of your business strategy and your business plan we have for a long time had a commitment, but I would say it's been driven by a sense of what feels right. So pre-pandemic, you know, all of the resources that I've just talked to you about, they've emerged and they've developed because it's been the right thing to do. And we've had known risks and we, you know, it's been, it's made sense and it, and it delivers an immediate sort of support to our people. As we move forward, we, we are looking at a range of data and information in the organisation, not just your absence figures and you know, what your people say about well-being. But let, let's look at how the organisation is behaving. Well-being is, is not just about the services that you provide at the top. It's about how your organisation operates, how it manages change, how it manages capacity and load, how it talks to its the culture. And actually, if you start to put in interventions and you're not tackling some of that foundation stuff about how you, how you just do good business, manage day-to-day, then you will find a disconnect and it will feel insincere and people won't buy into it because what they are experiencing day to day in their role and what you are sort of pitching in a glossy poster about support and well-being, there's a disconnect. So we are very much building from the ground up. We've identified where the well-being of our people is an absolute driver to, to our strategic outcomes and our, our success. And that's across a wide range of, of, of objectives for us. You know, good well-being of our people keeps our people safe, keeps our people engaged and motivated. But it also makes them better lifesavers and better, um, you know, better to, you know, better kind of members of their communities. So that helps us achieve a whole other range of business objectives. Um, linking it in that way, we can then say, okay, so what do we do today, and how do they help drive those goals, and how are they performing exactly as you would any other business area? And what we're identifying is, you know what, generally where we've gone too fast is the right place. But what we do next, what we do next needs to be with purpose and we need to continue to evaluate how good what we're doing is at, at improving the well-being of our people. And I think that's the next challenge for organisations who perhaps have been doing things but not looking at it in such a, you know, s- such a structured way. Rachel Newman of the RNLI on the continuing battle to improve the health and well-being of their staff and volunteers. Lessons for us all there, I'm sure you'll agree. I hope this and the other podcasts will help, and if you want to learn more about how Make UK can assist you in promoting and maintaining mental health, visit our website. There you'll find details on training, surveys, assessments, a mental health toolkit, a well-being guide, and virtual classrooms all ready for you to use. I'm Jonty Bloom and thank you for listening to this Make UK podcast.